Enyus was the real spirit of cinema, and she could make a film out of anything at any time. Those are words from Martin Scorsese on Agnes Varda's 2000 film, The Cleaners and I. Seeing Faces in Movies is a podcast where each month I focus on the works of a different director or cinematographer. And each week I invite a guest on to discuss a film and the artist's filmography. Today we're discussing Agnes Varda's Les Gleners et Les Gleners, otherwise known as The Gleners and I. A brief synopsis of the film, Varda films and interviews gleaners in France in all forms, from those picking fields after the harvest to those scouring the dumpsters of Paris. As is a documentary, there are no actual actors or characters, so everyone's presenting as themselves. So the film stars Agnes Varda, François Wertheimer, Jean Laplanche, and Baudin Linansky, just to name a few. The film was written by Agnes Varda, cinematography by Stéphane Kraus, Didier Rouget, Didier Dussain, Pascal Soutela, and Agnes Varda. It's also edited by Agnes Varda and Laurent Pinot, music by Joanna Bredowski, Pierre Barbeau, Isabelle Olivier, François Wertheimer, and the group Pradel and Klugman. Today's guest, I'm meeting for the first time today, and I'm very, very excited to get to know more about his love of film and Varda and this specific film. So welcome, Jose Hodan. Do you want to tell a little bit about yourself, uh, what you do in terms of film uh, and what your relationship is to cinema and Varda herself? Yeah, thank you for having me. This is super exciting. I... <laughs> Well, I've, I'm a movie executive. I uh, used to work at Warner Brothers for 20 years. And then uh, before that, I was uh, I worked at Famous Players, which was a theater, and Blockbuster, which was a video store. So my whole life has been in distribution. But oddly enough, I wouldn't say I got into film until around the time this movie was made, until 2000. So even though I worked in a movie theater before, it was more like the social thing of like having friends come over to the theater and, and watching movies and date nights and stuff. But I really wasn't into film film until I stumbled uh, across this like 100 movies you should uh, you should mm -hmm. watch thing. And I'm like, I really was into basically only gangster movies. So like The Goodfellas, The Godfathers and Godfather was number one. And I'm like, I like the way this list is looking. So I just bought the book and I didn't know any of the movies. And now I could argue like this, the status of some of these movies are like, this doesn't belong in this list. Like I could go on and on. But I wasn't a film nerd until then. Um, okay. And I didn't start making films until my uh, my girlfriend at the time, her ex-boyfriend was making films. And I was like, I was in business. And I was like, how how come this guy gets to make films? And I have to like do like a real thing here in university. And so I, I got a double major <laughs> in film. And so I have a business degree, but also went to film school basically and mm. was able to make my little films and documentaries and stuff. That was what led me into Warner Brothers. I wanted something that was film and uh, yeah. business. So I got into that and I, I made a short film in 2005. And since then, I never really did much. I did some stuff online. But I got to say, watching Gleaners again in preparation for this has made me want to go back. So uh, that's where you find me. This movie actually means more to me than I thought that it did. 
No, that's great. I totally relate because I also went to film school, but I studied film history as opposed to being a production major. But in the past, you know, in high school and in school as well, in university, you had to create films for whatever classes you were in because they sometimes wanted you to be more hands-on with it. But it's never been something I kind of kept up with in terms of actually creating a film, but then watching this. And we'll get into it because of the the camera that she used. I had a similar one. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember when I had the drive to make just film, you know, what's in front of me. And that's amazing that you've worked so deeply in like different facets of film. That's cool. Yeah, it was an experience. Although I have to say, by the end of my time at Warner Brothers, I did get cynical. Not because mm. it's just it's just the way the industry has gotten. Um, yeah. But for a while, I was like the person in charge of catalog movies. And like the Warner Brothers catalog oh, nice. is pretty fantastic. And so I would always show like the salespeople like, oh, this is an amazing movie you've never seen, you know. And that's when I was there from the time when movies were starting to come out on DVD, which meant okay. that a lot of the ones that just never made it to VHS just started coming out and all these special features. Features and they weren't pan and scanned for the first like all this stuff was uh, sort of like a golden age of all these catalog library movies that were finally making it out. And so I got to see these things for the for my first time, but in like the way they're supposed to not necessarily mm-hmm. the theaters, but at least like in the super letterboxed or widescreen. like it wasn't it was a given that you were going to see it the way the director wanted it and like commentary tracks and special, you know, like all that stuff. Oh, came wow. Out. I was, I was kind of nerding out for a good portion of my time at Warner Brothers. I mean, that sounds like a dream. And I, I love the releases that they have. I buy a lot of the Warner Archive releases oh, yeah. because like my preference for film is usually stems like pre-60s and they have all those older films that are kind of hard to find, but they will put them out. Something that I found interesting was that I mentioned Scorsese at the top, but he helped develop a program at Cannes that would allow young filmmakers around the world to use the additional footage from this film that didn't make it into the cut. And the permission was given by her, her daughter to do so after her passing. So this is something that was commissioned this year with all the footage young filmmakers can use it for whatever they want. Essentially just found footage that she had there. And my assumption is that she would be okay with this. She just <laughs> seems like she would be, hopefully, <laughs> and that her daughter just didn't say yes. <laughs> but it's it seems like a cool thing and it's like geared towards young filmmakers. So I I can appreciate that that's can i ask you a question about that yeah yeah is that just her specific footage for this specific movie or is it a bunch of other filmmakers it's for this specific one i wonder if they're planning on doing it for other ones but it's for this specific one that i guess he's been in talks for a while uh, and it just became a thing recently this year i have to assume if it's like successful they might start doing that with other directors but then you come into sort of rights issues because her daughter owns the rights to all this so she that's why she was able to get permission so it'd be i guess a bit iffier with other directors but we'll see yeah that's interesting where's the apocalypse now extra footage that you could use for your your independent film you know right even if it's just like a little snippet like a 10 seconds (laughs) (laughs) to just insert no marlon brando no no just like the jungles it would look amazing (laughs) i know because like who else can go there and shoot those things so (laughs) you know i'll let i'll use the actual footage from a better director than i could ever be (laughs) Speaking of footage and cameras, so this is primarily filmed on a Sony DV Cam DSR 300. And you see her hold it quite a bit through the film. And it just looks like something your family would own. And I'm sure a lot of families would own. And I had a mini DV camera that I used to use all the time growing up. 
I've either lost it or it's at my mom's house in somewhere, but I'd love to find the footage from it because it's just back in the day when you would just kind of film whatever in front of you type of thing on an actual camera as opposed to your phone and transfer it over. So I love that she did that with this film. It will be covered as we get through the film, but it has a very specific look and it's very kind of home movie, Mm -hmm. but polished home movie. I mean, I'll speak for myself. My home movies don't look this good. (laughs) (laughs) It's artisanal or or handmade, but she's clearly Mm -hmm. a master. Oh, yeah. Not that you're not a master. I'm just saying. I mean, I'm not. I'm not going to compare myself. Last little fact is this film is aesthetically inspired by Jean-Francois Millet's 1857 painting called The Gleaners. She just took inspiration from the actual subject of the painting and the way it looked and translated that into this film. You see that painting in the film itself and you can see kind of like the tones are very similar and the coloring is quite similar throughout the film. I I had some film books that I just like pulled out and I looked at and the one fact that blew me away because I did not see this coming because let's remember her film like her first film came out in like 1955 she was like 72 when she made this film her the raps are written by her I thought it was like she found some kids that rapped and like like rap about my subject but as according to this lady whose name is Kelly Conway uh, actually I don't know if Kelly Conway is a lady the raps were written by Agnes Varda and I think that's so hilarious because who would do that and she I think raps (laughs) near the end too where the TVs are being destroyed like I think that's her voice I think that I'm going to have to look into. That's interesting. I read about who did the actual raps, like who did the the vocals for it. But I didn't realize she had written it. That's so funny. I love that. Because I remember when the the raps begin towards the the early parts of the film. And I was like, oh, wow, this is so of the time. Yeah. Like the late 90s, early 2000s of just having rap (laughs) as your background music. And I was like, this is so endearing. I loved it. But the fact that she wrote it makes it even more. Even more endearing. (laughs) Yeah, she just really has a hand in everything in her film without it feeling overbearing. It doesn't feel like she's has like she's like dominating. It's more so that she knows that she kind of has to do most of it on her own. But she relies heavily on the help of others. A much better collaborator than other directors. Not to name anyone. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure there's a lot of top down classical Hollywood directors who had no like Otto Preminger may not have been so collaborative. Maybe. I don't know. I can't imagine. Yeah. Otto Preminger. Or uh, he... who's the guy from Greed? Uh, Von Stroheim. Yeah. That guy was not collaborating. Yeah. It was like my way or the highway or I will like yell and physically assault you type thing. At least with Preminger. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Who, whose work I love, but uh, interesting, interesting man, <laughs> to say the very least. Do you do you mind if I share some other facts? No, please, please, please. Okay, so when she couldn't get this made, so this was one of those movies that just nobody wanted to make. Uh, and even though it's become her favorite, her like most talked about film, she was having a hard time uh, getting money. I think she submitted like four proposals every time, sort of shrinking the 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 purview. Uh, of the film and I thought that was so interesting because it's it's timely right at the time 2000s consumerism and recycling and all this stuff and waste but I guess it wasn't timely enough for Canal Plus that you know that they would give her money or anybody else frankly I don't even think it's just of the time like it's just so still so relevant today also because we see so much food wastage 
and it just increases as the years go by. It, yeah, people might live a more a bit more differently, but then there's also kind of the wave of people trying to be more sustainable and that and that's more on the forefront, more so than it was I guess, 23 years ago now at this point that this film was made. Yeah, which is, yeah, <laughs> saying it out loud makes it seem more real. I was like, oh, yeah. it's, it's been a while since it was 2000. But yeah, I think it's kind of like an evergreen topic and it's not like wastage started in 2000 so it's weird that she would have so much issues getting funding for a topic that's just very real it's unfortunate and it happens yeah Yeah, it happens for sure they don't recognize that this person's like a a national treasure until she dies i guess my last fact and i thought this Mm. was you might find this interesting is the way she made it apparently was first she'd go out on her own without the camera and just sort of meet people. And then she would shoot, then go edit and think, then write the commentary and then go shoot again. And like, that's how the film was made. And that's how she said she found a balance between the her her hair and her hands and, mm-hmm. and all that whimsical stuff and, uh, and the content of the meeting the people, the gleaners. So I thought that yeah. was really interesting because it was made as kind of like as it went as opposed to like, we are now shooting, we are now editing, we are now, you know. And I feel like you feel that a lot. It kind of feels like she's doing something and then she discovers something else. She's like, okay, I'm going to go down that path now as opposed to being like, I need to follow this rigid script per se or guidelines. When you're watching it, you can see where it started is not where it ends necessarily, but there's still that main through line of the gleaners throughout, but just in different forms, which I loved because it could have gotten a bit it's a short enough film as well, but it could have gotten a bit monotonous if you were just seeing people in the fields. So seeing different types of gleaners was right. what interested in me the most and their version of gleaning or gleaning versus picking. So oh, that's, yeah. that's yeah. really interesting. That's so good. You, uh, Those are good facts. <laughs> I, you know, I just thought it was like, who else am I going to share these facts? These are amazing. You know, I... <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, this is the place. <laughs> So we'll get into the film itself. We kind of mentioned at the top that it's shot on a handheld digital camera, which I find, you know, allows her to be closer to the audience as opposed to creating like a fictional wall between them and the subjects. Not that you can't watch a film that's, you know, polished and not feel, you know, like you can empathize or understand the audience or the subjects, I should say. But I find with this specifically, like we kind of mentioned earlier, it kind of feels like a a home movie. and what she said, a quote from her, is that with the new digital camera, I felt I could film myself, get involved as a filmmaker. It ended up that I did film myself more and it did involve me in the film. So having her in the film, not only just visually seeing her, but the the voice of her narration makes it so that you know, she's kind of the bridge between what we're seeing and the people watching. It's just a different experience because sometimes with documentaries, you feel like you're being talked at, whereas this doesn't feel like most documentaries. I don't know how you feel. Yeah, no, I I don't think I would like this movie at all if it wasn't for her in it. Mm -hmm. What I like about it is her uh, narration, her actual footage of herself. And when I saw I saw the the TIFF. What she was a tiff with this movie, and she did like the the talk that the directors do after or before the screenings, and she mentioned mm-hmm. that there's no way she would get a, a cinematographer, a camera operator to film her hands. I'd like you to film my hands and talk, while I talk about my you know my my spot. She said I would never do that. And to your point, like that's such a freedom that somebody like her who has these sensibilities of mixing the personal with the I guess in this case it would be the political, but also just mm-hmm. just the connecting with people that she couldn't have done. Uh, as much uh, with another kind of technology. She did it in a way because she was interested and just that 
digital age and being able to hold the camera herself without, as opposed to having to rely on, but just as a way to bring forth the subject of humanity to other humans. I think we all kind of know about gleaning in some sort of sense. Other people might call it other terms, but we all know of that. And you see it even just in a lesser sense of like thrifting can be a sense, mm -hmm. except you're paying for that. But <laughs> it's like a consumerist version of yeah. gleaning. <laughs> I just love that she made it so approachable and you never felt like she was exposing them or looking down on them. And it also helps that she's in there and you can hear her asking those questions. And you mentioned the hands and the way Heron, how she's talking about her aging process and just how she's meditating on her life thus far. And I think that reflects in the way she talks to these subjects as well, because she starts off talking about what is gleaning? Why do you do it? Where do you do it? How? What's the method? And then it switches as time goes by and it kind of becomes like an a human interest story because I know that at some point she's asking couples, how long have you been together? Yeah. Um, where did you meet? How did you meet? And you can just see them, you know, perk up and because everyone wants to talk about yeah. uh, because it's just like an interesting thing to share with someone. And you could see that they never felt like, oh, she just wants to talk about this subject and you don't know how she's going to handle it. She actually showed an interest in those subjects. So I don't know how you feel about it turning from just gleaning itself to actually learning about the human beings behind it. I think she's a master of transitions. If you really look at the way she 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 goes from one shot to another, she'll just say something like, there was this one part near the end where she's looking at her hand and it's probably the longest time she's staring at her hand with the camera. And then she moves her finger and Rembrandt is there. And then she says some so she says something like, Oh, they're both self-portraits. Then she cuts to a third self-portrait of somebody who I don't know. And then she's like, We saw this in a museum on our way to. And then like she talks about when they were in this province of uh France. And I'm like, this is so effortless, but it's obviously yeah. super designed. And there's so many of these examples where uh do you remember the lens cap? The, yes, the crazy yeah. lens cap dance. Yeah. And it's stuff like that that just destroys me because like if you wrote that you were going to shoot your lens cap and then put jazz <laughs> music behind it and then abruptly yeah. cut it to say now that's over, you know, like you just you just wouldn't do that. But it really works so well in it. I think this is maybe the best example of a first person movie that isn't like a sort of navel gazing. I know mm -hmm. she like stares. She like has parts of her body that she's looking at and everything but like i don't i don't know how you feel about this but like is she too much in the movie or not too much in the movie? like is it a is she trying to make it about herself more than she should be i don't think so i think there's the right balance between her and the subject because even when she's in it for a little while then it cuts to the other people and you don't see her. You hear her all the time. But for me, and this is a personal thing, I'm sure others might disagree or agree. I think when I'm watching a documentary, I always want to know why the person making it is making it because documentaries mm -hmm. are like a, another level of personal because you can be a director who's working in the industry. You're being given a script. You're being given a crew and so on. And you're just there to direct. It doesn't happen as often anymore. Now people are actually you know, purposely, but back in the day, that was like, you know, you were hired by Paramount. This is what you're doing. You're shooting this yeah. and then you, you have another assignment afterwards. Um, so adding that personal level to it. And she's just so great to watch. And she has such a soothing voice and she's so adorable. <laughs> and I loved watching her comb her hair. But you see it with other directors as well. Like 
the Herzog stuff, he also inserts himself quite a bit in that because he's just so interested in the subject matter as opposed to feeling like he's just shooting materials and he's just going to put it together for whatever purpose. Um, And I think Barda is, you know, pioneered that in a sense. Yeah, actually, that's that's a nice comparable. I was trying to think, it's like, who's like this, you know? Uh, And it's so hard now in a day and age where like, we are like, we make content, whatever, we're on YouTube and stuff. But um, even in 2000, like having walking around, I know this because I used to walk around with a camera. It wasn't very common to be filmed, you know, like it is now. And so even as recent as 20 years ago <laughs> or 23 yeah. years ago, I think it does really help, though, that she's an old lady and yes. also an old lady who if somebody knows who like her like pedigree, like she's like a legend. And so all those mm-hmm. things really help in getting her in front of people. But even if nobody knew who she was, she seems to not talk down. She's trying to make them look like she's not predatory in the way she shoots people. She will like ask them about themselves in a way that I'm sure some of these people have never been asked. And then maybe there's something about the fact that I don't know if you, you think this too, but like, it seemed like there were way more men than women in this movie. And so there mm-hmm. might be sort of a connect, like even further, you know, making it easier for her to just go up to somebody because she's like, she seems so helpless, you know, as like this yeah. grandmother figure. But yeah, having her inserted uh, the way she is makes this movie be more than just like this textbook. Like I, the version of this movie that, that would have been from like a standard documentary maker would have mm-hmm. just been horrible. Like, you know, like, uh, hear the facts. You know, here are the stats of the amount of potatoes wasted per year. Like, who cares? She's basically saying that doesn't matter. Look at the people, you know, who who are doing this and let's learn about them. I mean, that just makes it so personal, but also universal. Yeah, I I agree. And there is a part I want to touch upon what you just mentioned of like, you know, if this is made for by anyone else. And having the stats in there, which, which she doesn't have, what she asks is like the people, you know, there's a scene uh, throughout where she's asking how much of the stuff can you take home? And everyone's answers are kind of different because they're <laughs> all like, well, I can take this much home, but some people take this and like just seeing that as opposed to being like, oh, no, we need to get the exact number because it doesn't matter at all yeah. why, how much is being taken and for what it's more about the why and the who. But another thing I wanted to talk about that you also talked about was the fact that, yes, this is 2000 and it's kind of pre all of the social media stuff. And now we're so used to, as you said, content, everyone's creating content. And in 2000, the internet was obviously a big thing. I was really on the internet a lot, but it was in a different way. It was like kind of blogging and talking about yourself, putting videos and pictures of yourself at the time wasn't big. So this is kind of a pre content creation. You know, it's kind of like stepping stone and nothing that she caused (laughs) the evolution (laughs) of it today. But it's interesting to see someone who's like, I'm going to film anything in front of me, but I'm also going to film myself, which is essentially what content creation is now. It's just us, you know, having some sort of self-importance. And I don't even say that in a bad way because it's good that people value themselves and want to put themselves out there. But you don't see that as often back then of being like, you know what, I think I should be in this because I can relate to this in some capacity. So I wonder how you feel about that and just her relating her personal experiences to what they're doing. I think when you mentioned uh, that this is a precursor, it made me think of Sherman's March. Do you know about Sherman's March? No. It's this documentary from like the 70s. Uh, the, the director's name is blanking me, but it's, it's going to be in the show notes. Yes. <laughs> I don't know if they're show <laughs> yes. notes, but I'm saying. There will uh, be. <laughs> and so the, the premise was Sherman, General Sherman was this union general that, uh, you know, in the scene in Gone with the Wind where the 
the place mm-hmm. is on fire and they're all trying to run away. He yeah. his army sets that on fire. Okay, so he's oh. going down to U.S. and like burning towns, and that's what this guy's grant was for. And instead, he turns the film camera and like just shoots himself going through his like love problems, and he's like, oh, like it, it, there's no, there's like very little of Sherman's actual march. Or even the topic he was like assigned to do in the movie, but instead he blew the whole budget on like dating his dating life and like these like Woody Allen esque, you know, like he on his mm-hmm. movies would have like these yeah. transient female characters and he's like weird, uh, weirdness makes them go away from his life or stay, yeah, yeah. whatever. So it's kind of like that. Uh, but it was for real, as for real as a documentary can be, but it was, I haven't seen it in a while, but that feels like somebody who totally injected themselves and made the story about them themselves. Whereas, yeah, Varda is just so much more delicate with it. And mm-hmm. and doesn't throw it off balance, you know. Doesn't turn yes. it in its head, you know. It's just it's it's uh it's a lot like her movie. Have you seen the visage, uh, uh faces places the village yes. visage with JR? Yes. Yes, they're both kind of road movies, which I would have never thought of Gleaners to be. But they're both sort of similar where it's about one thing. But then there's these sort of digressions mm-hmm. where they go and explore humanity or just life. Yep. Maybe it's not humanity. Cause sometimes just them sitting around looking at lakes or whatever. But I found that aspect to be uh, a consistent presence in these kinds of movies of hers. One, I definitely want to watch this Sherman's March because it sounds <laughs> hilarious. I absolutely need to find a copy of it. Uh, but two, she actually does describe this as a road movie. It's just interesting that you brought that up. Uh, she describes it as a road movie more so than a documentary. Well, she's actually on the road at some point and she's you know traveling from place to place. But I find what you, f- what you see in the best type of road movies that it starts one place and there might not even really be a plot other than who they discover along the way. And those are my favorite type of movies where you never know where it's going to end. And that's <laughs> the best part of it. And it's not like it's supposed to be a shock ending, but more so that as we all don't know, not to get philosophical, but we also don't know what's ahead of us. Uh, and I love that about this film, just how the different people that you meet and no one's similar and no one has the same story, but they all have kind of the same drive, realizing that there's no need for all this wastage. And if you're going to waste it, well, then we should all be able to just take it with any without any consequences. And there are some consequences for some people in this film, the mm-hmm. young people. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering how you felt about that, because, you know, these are young kids who are essentially, I guess, what you would call it now, like dumpster diving. The and they kids? Yeah. They yeah. get in trouble with the law for it because they're vandalized the grocery store and the grocery store like bleaches all the stuff so that they can't take it it's troubling to watch that and if you've ever worked service or i have in the past and i know people who they're not allowed their companies don't allow them to throw out stuff or give it away because it's a liability and so on but when i used to work service i used to try and give to if i was just out like here's some bagels like i can't (laughs) eat them i don't want to so someone might as well but i'm wondering how you feel about that and the way that was handled because she she shows each story equally between the kind of angry you know grocery store owner and the kids and how you feel i know that for me only because i'm getting older i was like okay good for you take all the food i don't know if we need to vandalize things but that's just me getting older and being more <laughs> square whereas like you know 10 15 years ago i've been like yeah whatever burn it down now i'm like uh we'll see i don't so i'm wondering how that storyline how you feel about that one specifically yeah that one came out it's like her uh composer is like you should come over this this thing just happened and then and then she tells you it's kind of like citizen kane in the beginning where they tell you he tells you what you what you're gonna see in detail she goes uh i'm gonna go there and interview all the parties these kids did this thing 
they bleached the stuff at the supermarket. So I'm going to go and interview them. And then she does exactly that, which I thought yeah. it, it's a very short portion of the movie, but it's almost like she does it twice. It's like one of those things like in Dial M for Murder, where they'll show you how the yes. murder is going to happen. And then it happens. And then you're like, it's not that specific where it's like beat to beat, but the editing there is insane. The editing there mm-hmm. is so wild. It's not like, let's talk to the kids and now let's talk to the magistrate or the law person. I guess it was like the representative of the court. And then let's talk about the supermarket person. It's like they're all intermingled. And that in particular really touched my heart because that's the stuff that I have made was is like that. It's like a bunch of editing on top of itself and sort of nice. um, It's collagey more than uh, like the standard, you know, like master shot, you know, Mm -hmm. close up. It's musical. There's a rhythm to the way she edits it that gives you the sense of all these different points of views. None of them are sort of dissed either, right? Mm -hmm. She's not like looking down at the kids and she's just asking them for their opinion or the the business owner. It's kind of like, I agree with a little bit of what everybody is saying, you know, like, yes, that's and then she just leaves and then that's it. And it just gives you this this peek at to as you know at this small section of society that you may not ever not have heard or like she, and the fact that she went to me is is another interesting sort of like deviation from the standard documentary. Like later on, there, there's this guy, the guy with the boots, who mentions yeah. an oil spill, and then you just cut to the oil spill, and then you're like, she's visiting the oil spill. That ability to sort of go where the interest is, like if there's a potential viewer who, or maybe it's her, who's like, oh, I wonder what this oil spill looks like. And can see her thinking that and just going and then coming back to the conversation those were really interesting to me because in both of those cases she was told something and then she went to discover for herself as opposed to sort of like a third hand you know like the hearsay as opposed to taking the yes. hearsay uh comment for it and and so yeah this movie kicks ass <laughs> this movie's so yeah. good i was raised by hip-hop and like i love hip-hop and i love graffiti but if somebody were to graffiti my house unless it was like awesome like certain yeah. graffiti artists can graffiti my house all day but like other ones i'm like i i, I have this <laughs> Same problem with the vandalism. I'm like, why'd you guys need to vandalize it? Yeah. Like, just get the food and keep going. You know, like, anyway. Yeah. I think it's interesting what you say about the editing and then her going back and forth between the two parties. Not to stick on this scene. I'll, I'll move on from it. But it is a scene that stuck out to me. It's kind of like she's creating like a dialogue and a conversation between them without them even really knowing it. And yeah. I love that with her going she's being told about something and she goes to see it for herself. I think it's just her trust and love for the subject matter itself and being like, hey, this could be something that I don't even use, but I don't know that. So let me just go shoot it and we'll see. As opposed to be like, no, I already got what I needed from you or you can just tell me what it was like. It's like, I want to see it for myself. Yeah, It's inserting yourself in a way of I'm going to show you instead of you just having to imagine what it is or take this person's word for it. I can't imagine any other. I mean, sorry, like, I guess I guess other documentary first person documentary makers like a like a Herzog or even like a Michael Moore, maybe like would mm-hmm. go there as well. But it just feels like it, maybe Herzog doesn't. Herzog's very sort of singular to me. Like he can, you know, he's eating his shoes somewhere. But uh <laughs> In a similar way, I just just feels like I don't know if this is just because it's her or or it's because it's just who she, you know, because she was always thrown in with these guys from the French New Wave. She was always she has this sort of Frida Diego relationship with her with her husband, where mm-hmm. I, I'm certain for a long time people thought that Jaco was 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 the one to look at, you know, because yes, brothers of Sherberg and all that stuff. But really, to me, the whole time it was always her. It was it's I don't really care about his movies like his movies are fine, whatever. But like her movies are. <laughs> really really special to me Claire from five to seven has a yeah. has a sensibility that even though it's a very structural movie where like time is it's the first movie that i saw that had like this sort of 
real time aspect to it, but it doesn't feel cold. And even back then, and and to my delight, she has so many movies I still have yet to see. And every time I see one of her movies, I see her like that same energy, that thread across her whole all, all her movies. I was gonna say content, which I don't feel is appropriate for <laughs> Agnes Varda. But yeah, so I, I that's what I love about her. I think I don't know who else you would put in this position and come out with the same movie. Like I just don't think you could. I also can't think of and you could have someone who could shoot it the exact same way, but the energy would be different because, you know, she's bringing forth her energy, which is different from other people's energies. And it's one that you want to watch and you care to watch. It's interesting that you mentioned, you know, her voice coming through because I was reading that she actually kind of invented the term cinecriture. Yes. Which is yes. basically like the authorship. And it's funny because I had this conversation with people a lot about auteurs and the people who are described as auteurs. Those people only, a lot of them, they're either just directing or sometimes they're also writing, but they don't have a hand in the rest of it. So you are discounting the fact the cinematographer shot this. Someone edited all the music. She has a hand in all of aspects of her film and we see it here and it's her voice. So she is the auteur of this film. And I think that term describes her perfectly. So I, I hear that you kind of knew about that term. I'm wondering how you feel about that term and as it you know relates to her and her filmmaking. Yeah, when when I when I first learned that term, I thought like that kicks ass because like this is the positive version of that super horrible birth of a nation quote, you know, when they they did it at the they showed it at the White House and I guess it was the president, I forget which one it was, was saying it's like it's like he's writing with lightning or whatever. You know, like he's like this is all yeah. true. And I'm obviously, you know, we all can talk about yeah. the birth of a nation or not talk about birth of a nation. I think anybody <laughs> listening to this podcast is aware of everything I would say about birth of a nation. Yes. But uh <laughs> <laughs> but the whole did this aspect of like one person writing it, so to speak, and then like a product coming out. Yeah, I'm sure D.W. Griffith had exactly what he got. Like he he exactly wanted what we saw, you know, like similar to like a Spielberg or like mm -hmm. these super high powered people. But I sometimes think that there's a credit that should be given to filmmakers where it's not like it is a film by. But what we really mean is like filtered by Francis Ford Coppola or filtered yes. by you know and so unless you're literally doing on like a brackage you know you like stand brackage and you're just, you're like yeah. that's all you so you directed that movie but also it's a film by you and i feel in this case it's not just her filter it's also a film by her she her sensibility is the thing but actually not, i'll walk it back i think the filter credit would be a great credit for her because it's her sensibility that makes her so special. And so even that, if we were to come up with this insane credit called filtered by, it would be appropriate for, for Agnes in this case. Um, yeah, I love that. I love that term filtered because I think that's more apt than auteur for at least a lot of the people who get associated with that term. Most of the time, people who get called auteurs are male directors who are just kind of big directors. They don't necessarily have a voice that is distinctly theirs, but they're mm -hmm. just really well known. I feel like someone, and I, I love Scorsese. I know we're talking about him a lot, or at least I mentioned him quite a few times. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that I he has a distinct voice. I think he's a very competent and gorgeous director, but it's not like you always feel his presence, at least for me, throughout every film, which is also not a bad thing to distance yourself and be like, I'm creating something that has nothing to do with me. And I'm just using him as, as an example, but I think with Farda, she doesn't need to be in the 
the film, but if her name wasn't at the front and you're still in your familiar with her work, you would be able to tell it's her. Yeah. Is I guess where I'm coming from with that. Yeah. A lot of times you'll see people write things like you can just see a frame and you'll know that it's ex director's work. And I'm like, there aren't that many. As somebody who's wasted a lot of time, you know, many years <laughs> probably watching co- like movies and TV shows. Uh, I was going to say content again. It's so weird. This. <laughs> it's not content uh but you know i think like michael man you can say that probably yeah. you can mm-hmm. if you saw a whole scene you could probably feel maybe a christopher nolan vibe but like somebody mm-hmm. who i think is like in the future will be looked upon as like one of the ones i think is steven soderbergh and steven soderbergh doesn't okay. make two movies that are the same really even even the oceans 11 movies are different you know then and 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 his work is exactly that it just gets lost in the story you can never really tell it's only mm-hmm. after like a lot of movies you can start seeing some similarities or he's kind of like an old-timey director in that way we're like yeah you could say you know all the john ford movies but then i'll show you a john ford movie doesn't really feel john fordish you know because he's still learning how to be john ford you know exactly Uh, exactly uh, that like what you just did billy wilder right like what what is it like can you tell a billy wilder movie i had this conversation with a few of the guests where we wouldn't describe that there is a visual look to his films it's not like you could you could say you could pick a frame but it would be because you're seeing the actors. There's not necessarily other frames, actorless, that you could be like, oh, that's Billy Wilder's essence. His essence is from his writing yeah. and the subject yeah. matters. So he has a voice there, but visually, not so much because that's just who he is. He's he's adapting the visuals to his writing as opposed to being like, uh, it's me all the way through. You know, there's very few people that you could, as you said, put a random frame and see. I think the first one that comes to mind as and it's not even a more recent. He's been around for a long time, but it's like, oh, Wes Anderson is the most obvious yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Where you're like, sure. yeah, I know you could pick random scene. And you're like, yeah, okay, that's Wes Anderson. You have a high probability of getting it right. Yes. For sure. <laughs> you know, um, so that's like that. And Barda also has that kind of vibe to her. But she shoots things that look very differently. But, you know, she does have her essence in it. If people were being honest with themselves, I think they would say, if I, if you know, I would have a feeling this is this director. Like nobody besides maybe Wes Anderson. But I, I was watching Asteroid City and I was thinking, like, does he hate this actually? Because he's kind of trapped. Like he does, or does he really yeah. love this look? Because now if he were to make a movie that looked any less Wes Anderson, will people hate him? Like, you know, like like Bob Dylan going uh, electric? Like, will, yeah. will we hate him? Is he any good? I'm sure he's very good without the symmetry and all that. Like Kubrick, you would say, has a lot of similar things that he's uh-huh. done over the course of his films but they don't all look the same they feel sometimes similar there's echoes but it's not like you could you could say only if you know that it's him that they're similar yes. but i think Wes anderson's the best example maybe of all time like i don't know chaplin like, yeah i don't know who's so obvious marx brothers the, like the other one that i thought of just now as you were speaking was bergman i think you could also point out a bergman at I least for me so no because no? like I mean, sorry, not you're you're totally no, right. no, no, in, in the sense of like the the vibe, like a really kind of like yeah, like a Swedish vibe. But like, would <laughs> you say that if I don't know, I, there's a Bergman esque thing to his movies mm-hmm. taken in in their entirety. If you're watching the whole movie, if yes. you're experiencing it, and you experience all his movies, like I think for sure you'll find. So, but I I think the same thing with Godard and stuff. But I mean, like yeah, if you were to take an isolated aspect and like 
it was like a blindfold test. I don't know that I could pick Ingmarberg. Like, but I, I do think that unlike many of the people out there, she has there's an essence that's in her work that's sort of handmade, or there's a sensibility more than anything that is baked into her work. And maybe mm-hmm. that's because she never really did like these huge yes. like, day for night type movies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she did make some big movies, but it wasn't like that. They were very as still kind of like personal stories, not even necessarily to her, but kind of a one subject matter as opposed to like a grandiose thing, which I guess ties into the one of the last things I wanted to talk about a specific scene that I really loved as well. It's early on when she's at the potatoes and she picks up the she wants the heart ones. She just like puts them in her old lady bag. And that was that's such a vibe because I would do the same thing with my little tote bag. Like, I want these potatoes. And she just films them. It's so sweet. And I just think that's so early on in the film. But I kind of want just like that shot of her, like the potato, like printed out and put on my wall because it's so mm-hmm. cute and it's so beautiful. And I love that. Again, we've been talking about this, like her being a part of their lives even for that moment. But just her never feeling like she's better than them she always kind of puts herself in the exact same position without being demeaning either because that can be demeaning too just being like oh i'm gonna be one of you for the day it's sort of like i'm gonna be homeless now yeah to learn about this part so, I don't know why I did Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> Sorry, Shia, I guess. Okay. I don't think he's hurting. Uh, <laughs> but um, that those are just some of my favorite shots. I'm wondering if you have any other points that you'd like to discuss in terms of the visuals of the film or anything else. Yeah, I was just doing that hand movement she does for the butt, for the trucks. You know, oh, yes, she, like, yes. she, like it's hiding. It, it's such a fun. It's like a childlike gesture she does because, you know, she was just doing that by herself. And then she's like, I should film this. And then she films yes. it. There's no space between like, should I? I will, yeah. you know, and <laughs> it's so memorable because it isn't a kid doing it. It's somebody who's been doing I think she's more French New Wave than some of the official French New Wave directors. I know she's technically yes. pre-French New Wave. That freedom that I found even, you know, discovering the French New Wave, like this playfulness, this like, you can do it. Why can't you do it? Let's just go dance right now. Let's turn yeah. off the audio. Let's, you know, whatever. I thought that visually that just reminded everybody of like what it's like she never forgot what she loved about filmmaking you know like it's like she's still connected to that where you know some filmmakers you can tell are like they've all and because it's normal like you just can't yeah that person you were maybe when you were 20 30 40 whatever but she's like 70 something and she's still so playful and even it continued beyond this movie so that that definitely stands out this sort of hand gesture with the with the trucks the other one is Mm -hmm. i just watched vortex uh, by Gaspar Noé. Okay. Which was... Uh, Good contrast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But there, but he's obviously seen... Like, he's been influenced by her. Like, in this movie, there's this one interview when she's talking about that filmmaker descendant, you know, that sort of, like, pre-Kurt, like, that Moybridge-like inventor guy who... Okay, yes. Uh, yeah. They're just sort of showing scenes of, like, his contraptions. When they're interviewing his descendant, it's just there's, like, the guy's talking, and then it cuts to black mm-hmm. for, like, a frame, and then it keeps going. And you, you know what... It is. It's just he's just removing the bad parts. But yeah, <laughs> Gaspar Noé does that editing a few times in his other movies, but he definitely did it in Vortex. And I thought like that's so jarring, but it works. It really works for his stuff. Uh, but yeah, it, it really worked here, too. And I just thought, again, 
she's like because she edited herself this beauty of like i'm gonna do it i just did that there you know and it's isolated (laughs) in the editing style of the rest of the picture it's just the no rules apply thing really really applies to her here the last thing i definitely want to communicate is when she talked about how she interviews people she mentioned she she sprays a can of affection and love to whoever she films and i Mm. thought i probably couldn't use that line but like man that's like the way to do it right like she yes tries to make him look good she tries to give them the dignity you know and she even talked about like making them look like here clean up your your shirt or fix your shirt because you're gonna look not so good if you do it that way you know like as opposed Mm -hmm. to catching them and like zooming in on like stained shirt or whatever to sort of comment on them she she doesn't do that and i thought if anything uh, encapsulates her approach to humans it's that and because she did that i connected with people that i'll never meet it transcends time and language and culture i just thought this is exactly what art is supposed to be like this specific thing right now you know that i was watching it just i was i'm always smiling when i see her movie this movie yes Um, no i agree i love that the that line that she gave and it is true and just her cleaning them up because it's a it's her showing her respect for them because it's like If I'm filming my friend and I can see they're disheveled, I'm going to be like, hey, clean up because you're going to look at this again and you're going to be upset that I didn't tell you. I'm assuming her hope is also that she sees or that they see the footage of themselves so they can be proud of what they do um, as opposed to being like, I'm going to film this and I don't care if you watch it because I'm just filming you in your real state. And it's not that it's not real. It's just giving them the respect to at least present themselves the way they want to be. Yeah. So I love that about her. Did you ever see the sequel? gleaners no not yet two years later oh it's wild it's funny like um am i allowed to talk about is this gonna be a yeah. episode okay no okay. so go ahead so so she uh she goes back to some of the people and you know that guy at the end who doesn't have very much but he teaches people french yes. to, or turn turn to read french at the end he's kind of yes. i think she described him as the guy who took like months just to approach him slowly get to know him you know before she could film him so that guy shows up again and he's everybody knows who he is now because of mm-hmm. the movie and she's like so what did you think of the movie and he's like i really liked it i thought it was good that it is like i didn't like you in it <laughs> and she was like oh but i i think of myself as a gleaner too a gleaner of footage a gleaner of yeah. stories whatever and he's like yeah i just don't think it really works and she's like <laughs> and it was just so funny because he's like you know he and i disagree greatly uh she goes and and it has a very similar vibe she basically is starts by going through all her fan mail a lot of people send her uh, potatoes in the heart shape mm-hmm. and, uh, or pictures of or they draw her. And it's, again, the same sort of artisanal thing where it's not a special feature. It's just like a continuation or mm-hmm. a, let's go back and visit with my friends. And so much so that she sees some of these people and they like kiss her and hug her and she's kissing them. And some of them look like they're not doing so well, but it doesn't matter. Like she still goes up and gives them love. And I thought that's something not too many documentary makers could do like a hundred percent some people would feel used in this if somebody else had done this like would they have even allowed themselves to shoot twice for this with this person you know let alone being hugged and kissed like how are you you know and so so watching it makes you think like this is who she is with the camera off we just happen to somehow be brought into like what she wants to tell us like the little exactly you know scenically too that she wants us to read but you know she's probably she would have been super cool if you just run into her you know like yeah i would hate to hear that she was mean to people off camera you know like that would really hurt me you know exactly i was like if she was which i i feel like we would have heard by now but if she was like don't tell me about it 
just yeah. let me live in this, you know. Yeah. My own that one I her. could not take. I could not no. take that hero being uh, tumbled down. Now, I think, especially now, been a, a while since her passing, I think something would have come out. Something you did say earlier, you know, she still had the enthusiasm for filmmaking. And I think that she was always just so happy and felt grateful that she could do this dream job. And it always remained a dream job for her, as opposed to becoming embittered by it or just Mm -hmm. being like, okay, it's another day, another, you know, another day, another dollar. (laughs) Maybe not so much in her case, because I don't know how much money she's making from this. But I guess to wrap up this sentiment would be like her essence was just such a joy to watch in everything that she did. And I also disagree with the teacher. I can't imagine her not being in the film. I was very happy to revisit this movie. Not because I hadn't seen it in a long time. It's only been like a couple of years since I'd seen it. But like, it's just, it gets better with time. And her transitions really stood out with me, for me this time. Like, I just Mm -hmm. thought, I'm in the hands of a master. And knowing that she edited it, like, it just feels like first person. And I know that documentaries aren't about truth so much as they're just another way of filming. And I think we're getting to know that because of all the YouTube stuff, you know, that yeah, we know that exactly. it's all created. But this really does make the case for I like first person cinema. Uh, I actually interpret everything as first person cinema, which really does a disservice when they're trying to like give me escapism. I'm always yeah. like, that's a good shot. Good shot there. You know, <laughs> whoever was like, I'm glad you took that angle. That really made me feel good about that. You know, like, mm-hmm. it's not the same uh, as what they want me to like forget that I'm watching, you know, The Passion of Jonah Wark or something. But I think that that's an example of a movie that has a sort of coldness, even though her face is so amazing. And so I don't know, I don't know how like a Varda version of that story would be like, but I bet you it would be warmer somehow in this, you know, as perfect as Passion of Joan of Arc is. Like, even if you take a masterpiece, I would love to apply Varda to like every movie that I've seen. It's like, what's her Mm -hmm. godfather like? You know, (laughs) Yeah, the Varda filter on the godfather. The Varda filter. No, that's interesting. Yeah, there is definitely always a kind of warmth to her films, even when the subject matter is like a dark or like a vagabond where it's, it's a dark story, but there's love behind it as opposed yeah. to it being, you know, harsh like other people might have done. And that's totally fine to have a harsh story, but it's also nice to have that warmth when you're watching a film. There you go. Well, that was the Gleaners and I. I have a couple more questions for you, which I, I give to every guest, kind of the end credits segment of the show. But the very first question is, if someone comes up to you and says, hey, Jose, I've never seen a Varda film in my life. Where do I start? Do you recommend The Gleaners and I? If so, why? And if not, what other film are you recommending they start with? I think this is the most Varda film from what I can think of right now. It's totally accessible. It lives up to who seems she seems to be as an artist. Will they think it's amazing and life-changing? I don't know. But I think some of the earlier fiction ones seem to be fully like you have to sort of put them in their context to really like get it, get with mm-hmm. them, I think. Not Cleo, but like some of the other ones. And so this one's perfect as it is. Like, I don't think you need any more context. So if you don't like it, that's fine. But I don't think there's any sort of cultural barrier between you getting it. No, I agree. And it's interesting that you say that about some of the earlier fiction stuff. The one I did pick is a fiction one, but it's one that I feel is a bit more well-rounded. But I've seen some of her other films, um, even like... With the one, what's it called? The one sings, the other one doesn't. Oh, um, yeah, I love that title. I think that title's amazing. That's great, but it does require maybe a bit of context and might not be the best starter film. The one I picked was Vagabond, 
because I think it has everything about her. But then as I was watching Gleaners and I, I was like, oh, maybe this would also be a great starter one because it does have a lot of her. And I think for me, when I'm recommending a film, I kind of want to give the person the director's full essence and being like, okay, this is what they have to offer in whatever genre uh, that they're doing, but this is who they kind of are. And then you can either say, I like this or I didn't. And hopefully you do and want to search the other ones. So I think those are two good starter films. I think. Yeah, Vagabond, I just looked at the, t- the years, 1985. It doesn't feel that far removed. It almost looks to me, if I close my eyes, like they kind of look the same, right? It's kind of like the brown yeah. sort of dirt. Yes. You know, like not the woods and not the city. It's kind of like the towns, you know? And yeah, but I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't really, in general, I feel like the 80s is not my favorite decade so now <laughs> I, I look down upon most movies in the 80s even though i was raised you know in a lot of without those movies but now if you look at cinema cinema i'm like ah, yeah. the 80s are like whatever but that's just my opinion i know people love like horror in the 80s is like its own thing whatever i feel that i also have certain eras i would actually say i mean apart from this one i feel like the 2000s like 2000 2010 there was it's one of my least favorite decades but oh, uh there's some gems in there but yeah i think those are good starter films for Varda. The second question I have is if you're building a double bill, either for yourself or someone else, what film would you pair The Gleaners and I with? It doesn't have to be a Varda film, but it can be if you want. Depends. It depends what I'm trying to communicate. Mm-hmm. Um, like from a first person, if people want to see like what the future was going to look like, I would pair Gleaners and I with Tarnation. Do you know what Tarnation is? It's like found footage. Yeah, you who know, did that one? I don't know. He just made the one movie. It's like the Sundance Darling movie. It's it's okay, but it's it's like a he made a lot of his like all this content is like family movies and and, and, okay. and stuff, and he edits edits it you know in a way that you can only edit like with modern editing machines and stuff like digital mm-hmm. editing. And and they basically, if you just were to put those into like the gumbo, like you'd get the way that all this has come out i think you know okay. like the casey neistat and all these sort of like first person, oh, like, okay you know yeah. people like but in some there's like a range right and some stuff is is a lot nicer than others and it's like some of mm-hmm. it's really dark and, and so i think that's that's one i don't know but but it wouldn't be a very like gleaners would be great but tarnation is kind of a tough movie to watch it's like yeah. saying dear zachary or something like they're yeah they're sort of tough movies to watch but they're amazing uh but maybe maybe let's just leave it at that i don't want to keep yeah thinking i don't know but a herzog now that you mention it like a herzog would be a hell of a like i don't know like burden of dreams and yeah and uh gleaners would be an amazing like if i had never seen those movies and i walked in and then a few hours later walked out i'd be like that's amazing Everything yeah i just saw i had thought of herzog as well but i actually kind of i went with a fiction film and it's one that i saw recently this year called uh amateur like camera buff by Kislowski. he the character in that is someone who uh not to give away the film but he gets a camera because his young daughter was born he wants to film her life but ends up filming the world around him and it evolves from there and i just thought it's fitting if you wanted to pair it with a fiction film of just seeing how that can be done in that manner it's very different from this but it's thematically at least the character wise are kind of similar so yeah, yeah. that would be my pair that's awesome i you know i i would have such a hard time picking just one because yeah. <laughs> it changes it's almost like you're it's like a disc record 
you picked the wrong movie with Gleaners and Gleaners is going to come out so much better. And like we did yes. all the things you tried to do and it's effortless. You had a bigger budget, but ours, is, you know, and, and if you do it right, like what are we trying to do with this question? It's I think it's like in this example that you gave, I haven't seen this movie. It sounds amazing, by the way. And <laughs> like it's about the the capturing of life, you know, like whether it's around him it sounds like that's maybe what it's about like what else is yeah, going on yeah it it's is like, you know yes. and that's kind of what she's doing right she le- leaves her house and captures life to something that she was never you know she i don't think she ever gleaned before you know no but yeah no that's a good that's cool i'll, I'll try that check that one out i would yeah i'd recommend it if you have criterion channel it's on there it's very good it's an interesting watch i think a lot of Kislowski stuff is interesting and he's also interested in human beings but in a definitely a darker vibe Mm -hmm. than uh, Varda would have. (laughs) So, yeah, I think we did The Gleaners and I justice. There's always so much more to talk about, but you don't want to say too much because you want to allow the viewers. Hopefully you've seen it if you're listening. If not, hopefully it inspires you. There's no spoilers for this film, you know, so it doesn't matter what we've talked about. It's still, you kind of need to watch it for yourself to get the full effect. But I hope that it inspires more people to watch her other stuff. If you are just getting into Varda or you haven't seen a lot of her documentaries to get into those as well. Jose, thank you so much for joining. I don't know if there's anything you'd like to plug or if I should just put it in the show notes, if people should follow you somewhere. No, thank you so much. This has been amazing. I uh, I love talking about movies, but I love yeah. talking about <laughs> movies in a specific way where sometimes people will say something and it's like they're trying to change my opinion. And then you're, you're, yeah. you get into this whole thing. We're like, no, this is why it's not that good. You know, like, I'm not, I don't care. Nobody's going to change my opinion, really. Like, of you know, but this kind of conversation really makes me think of this thing that I saw uh, a little bit differently. And uh, like I said, I, I, I owned a movie for a minute and it's here, but it's not like I, I see it all the time. It's not like every year yes. I watch it. If today you were to ask me like my top 10, 20 movies, it would be there. And that's thanks to you, Felicia, because like, <laughs> I, I, I think even as a from an artistic point of view, like so if anybody's listening here and they're an artist and you feel like the world's being down on you and like society and like the, the, the harshness of the limits, you know, all that. Varda in her late stage filmography is so inspiring. There was no big budget for this movie. And yet she made this perfectly compatible movie to like any other big movie you can mention. You know, it's just like the effect that she had was so powerful. And she did that with tools that we all carry in our pockets. Like it's just what more do you need to to like just go and get it, you know, like go and do it. If you if you make a movie because of this movie, please let me know because yeah please let me know too i'd love to i'd love to hear that <laughs> as far as plugs i think uh you could just find me i'm i'm channel jose on tiktok and channel jose on instagram uh the youtube channel that has yet to be called channel jose is also going to be called channel jose this has been awesome i can't wait to hear the other episodes i'm so glad that i got to kick off the varda month with this film and with you and i hope if you had a good time that you want to come back on the show and talk about another Hell yes. director in the future so it, I I love the way you approach film and discussions. And as you said, like, I never want someone to come in and try and change my mind. It should just be a fun conversation of us 
both talking about a film that we love. Otherwise, why are we here, right? Yeah. So great hearing that you're starting this because if I did have a mission in my professional life before, it would be like how to get people to watch old movies. And it's not because, you know, not every old movie is good, but, mm-hmm. you know, you can read like my my kids reading Pride and Prejudice. There's no way I could show somebody a movie if there were movies in the 1800s, whatever. Like it would be so hard to get somebody to like sit down and watch. But yet I'm like, here, read Pride and Prejudice. They're like, cool. It's it's a classic. Yeah. And, and books age really well and film really doesn't. And it's just so young still. And I think it's insane that we're already losing our heritage like our you know when people see a shot they think it's like new and you know it's like a shout out to like this like 1923 yes. movie and you're like it's a conversation it's a like it's a lineage it's not you know this thing that just started with you know color movies and podcasts have the opportunity to really you know entice people if anybody's still listening you know you're <laughs> You're probably not the demo I'm talking about because you already know about <laughs> old movies. But but I think like we all have a responsibility to try and share this uh, because yes. I don't know how you're gonna how old movies are gonna survive because like there's so much in there that's like locked in that we don't want to sort of lose access to and uh, we all like kind of mini ambassadors of showing them you know what's out there and like and by showing what we love I think is actually the best way to do it you know like I, I'm never going to talk about horror movies because I don't care so like don't get me on for, for that channel but like if it's a channel about like you know the auteurs or the new French new wave like these exciting sort of times in film history I can transmit that excitement and I hope that like younger generations will get it you know because it's just so much it's like all the arts in one like why would you mm-hmm. not like cinema you know i think that's so perfectly said and basically encapsulates the entire essence of the show i have people on specifically for a film that they love we're chatting about it so it's just about loving and sharing and the enthusiasm is what will bring people to discover new things hopefully hopefully yeah let's say yes this is awesome thank exactly. you exactly no thank you thank you so much seeing faces in movies is an official podcast of the royal film club it's hosted and edited by Felicia Maroney, intro music by Lamar Walker, and additional help from Dara McGrath. If you like what you heard, let us know at seeingfacesinmovies.com or send us an email at seeingfacesinmovies at gmail.com. And while you're at it, please subscribe and rate the show wherever you listen to your podcast. Stay tuned for our next episode on Cleo de Saint-Asset. <laughs>